From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. When you want to have fun and have scratchers to scratch, there's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. 
This week, our guest is writer, director, and producer Dutch Marich, who is the mad mind behind the horrifying Horror in the High Desert series, which currently has two installments that are out now on VOD. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk spooky. Yes, uh, I'm very excited too. And so let's let's start with Horror in the High Desert. What what are these two movies um, about? If you could distill them uh, for our listeners that might might not have seen them. Sure. So the first one is about an experienced outdoorsman who uh, has like a pretty popular YouTube channel, and he discovers on one of his excursions this spooky thing out in the desert and on his return to document it and show it to his subscribers he vanishes Mm. obviously we see the what happens when he vanished (laughs) at the end of the movie it's the first in five in a series of five films five so yeah so part two is in the same universe, in the same like part of the high desert. And it is about, it's kind of follows two different stories. Um, one is a woman who is like mysteriously found dead and another disappearance. So it's kind of like building on the lore of what is going on in the first movie and setting up kind of the rest of the, the series. Hell yeah. So I, by the end of the first one, you kind of introduce this, uh, uh, this, so, I think they're what social media influencers that we're going to yes. descend on. And then Correct. you did a swerve with the second one. Cause I thought, Oh, that's when I, cause I, I recently watched the first one and then I watched the second one. I was like, Oh, that's what, that's what the second one's going to be about. No, it's a swerve. Uh, it was, was that, was that always your plan to, to do a swerve or was it just how timing worked out? So it actually was not a lot of the first reactions from people were not like negative, but they were totally expecting the setup. From the first one, which is, you know, the people setting out to find what Gary found. And then when they saw this one, we're just kind of thrown for a curveball. But to be totally honest, the reason that part two kind of took that route is because I had to have back surgery. Oh. And I didn't know that while I was doing the first one and setting it up. But I wanted to make a movie still, you know, to like keep it going Mm-hmm. And I was like, what can I do that's like still in this universe that because to film there, it's a nine hour drive Oof! and with a busted back that is like yeah. not, I mean, I would be literally like crippled by the time I got there. Oh my God. And um, my doctor was like, up until your surgery, do not do any traveling where you're sitting for long periods of time. Half of that is actually shot in the Angeles National Forest. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Like really close to my home here in LA. It's like 45 minutes up the hill. Actually, not half of it, but the beginning of the filming process started there and then kind of finished in Nevada. Oh, wow. Cool. I never would have clock that i guess that at all that's so cool is your back okay how are you doing now <laughs> yeah it is it okay. is yeah i've got my orthopedic pillow <laughs> got nice inserts in your shoes now <laughs> oh my god in san francisco when we for uff 
I forgot them, to be honest. No. This is the oldest no. conversation I've ever had. Not the inserts. I feel so old. No, they're important. I literally had to go to Rite Aid because I was like, Aww. bitch, I can't fucking do this anymore. I'm like dying here. <laughs> but I'm Getting all good now. My back sometimes, I'll tell you. That's- oh, my God. <laughs> But okay, so you're this is a found footage series, which we all know that I yep. we all love. And so why found footage? Why did you want to go this route with this series and these films? So I love the show Disappeared. Oh. Have okay. you guys ever seen it? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. It's on the Investigation Discovery Network. Okay. They're kind of like datelines. It's a docuseries. And every episode profiles Someone that has disappeared without a trace. Okay. They suck you in these episodes. And I always thought, like, how frightening would it be for one of these episodes or like a dateline even if at the end we see what happened to the person? Fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking up disappeared um, on Wikipedia and I was like, oh, so this is sort of like when I was when I was growing up, like for me, it would have been... um, unsolved mysteries that sort of like yes they do do those creepy things and they do reenactments mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. by the end of the episode if you are an impressionable youth you're like what the fuck the world is trying to murder me yes completely makes you terrified to go out in the world wow and that's what i wanted to do with these i wanted to make them super realistic so that if someone were to come in the room when someone else is watching it, they would have no idea that they're watching a movie. Hell yeah. Were you a found footage fan before this? Like, were you into the subgenre at all? I was, but not as much as I am now. Okay. Because I did not realize the massive audience that found footage has, like... There's horror fans, and then there are found footage horror fans, and they will, like, fuck shit up to find a good found footage horror movie. Hmm. Who does this sound like in this conversation? (laughs) I have never never downloaded a movie that didn't have an English language track, even though it was in English, and then downloaded a poorly translated subtitle track to go over top of it to watch a missing early 2000s found footage movie. What are you talking about? Never. It's never happened. Anyway. Uh, that's where I'm getting now. <laughs> Found footage fans are, 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 like, we are small, but we are mighty. And I know mm-hmm. that your films have really picked up a lot of love in those, like, Facebook groups and those communities. Like, what has that been like interacting with this community of fans? Amazing. When it first came out, it was rejected by amazon because during the pandemic they had this um they were not accepting documentaries they weren't accepting uh non that was independently produced because they were getting a ton of like um vaccine oh. stuff and pandemic mm-hmm. propaganda the misinformation mm-hmm. out there so yeah. it was just like an across the board we're not taking documentaries and unfortunately they grouped horror in the high desert in with that because it's presented as a documentary so it went to tubi and i had never heard of tubi i just was like what the f you know i was kind of crushed but it ended up becoming a huge blessing because tubi also has a ton of found footage 
And they do. I started getting all these messages from like literally all over the world because Tubi's in uh, Australia, Mexico, New Zealand, Canada. Um, and it was just, uh, it's honestly been incredible. It's, it came out like two years ago now, I think the first one, and it is still like on the rise. It's blows my mind. I've, I've, I feel like the luckiest guy ever. <laughs> well, like Tubi is the best place for found footage though. And I feel like people are, people are slowly starting to realize like how cool Tubi is and like the, what the, like the hidden gems you can find on Tubi. Like, some of the best found footage movies I have found on Tubi. Same. It's amazing. Stuff I would have had never heard of is on Tubi. I mean, recently I watched Savage Land there, and that was, uh, that's only streaming. That's only streaming on Tubi. That's the only place that was available when I was looking on on my Amazon, Mm -hmm. or my Apple app. Uh, There's there's a lot. It has a wealth of of found footage things, which I didn't even know about until Mary Beth was like, yeah, this is where you need to go for. (laughs) The goddess of found footage. But, so, I (laughs) <laughs> i love that um but I, i'm also really curious like how did you get into horror movies have you always been a horror fan um yeah but it didn't start with movies okay it actually started with and i feel like you guys might be too young to relate to this scooby-doo too young i'm i'm, I'm 42 oh my god you look like a fucking baby <laughs> i'm 42 years old <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, too yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I love Scooby Doo. Amazing. That was my cartoon of choice. So you as a know Scooby Doo. I do know Scooby Doo. Okay, I'm I am a baby, but <laughs> I know Scooby Doo. Because my family like fucking loves Scooby Doo and I watched it religiously as a Is kid. it would you not call it horror though? Oh, absolutely. For a kid? Oh, one hundred percent it's horror right? for kids. It's so scary. It's like even though it gets almost always like a dude in a suit, <laughs> a person, it's still yeah. it's still terrifying. Also, this is like this is later, but Scooby Doo Zombie Island is so is really scary. Have you seen Scooby Doo on Zombie Island? I've not. I know that that is the horror queers as Trace's favorite like Scooby Doo yes. incarnation. I've never seen it though. Have you Dutch? I'm having a moment because I literally just rented that. <gasps> Someone on Twitter shared it, and I had never seen it. It's a, supposed to be one of the best. I was like, rent. It's so good. It's it's spooky. It's like a, it's actually like a spooky Scooby Doo. So any anyway, I love it. They're love all Scooby-Doo. well. Some of them are not spooky. Like the the old Scooby Doo movies. There's one where Scooby Doo goes to Hollywood. I don't know if you ever saw <laughs> I don't that think one. I have. Didn't didn't Scooby Doo meet Abbott and Costello? Yeah, that ever happened. That one mm-hmm. happened. Yeah, that's what I thought. Scooby Doo meets Batman and Robin. <gasps> I think that might be my favorite. <laughs> yeah, with the Joker in the. In the woods, oh God, and that terrifying little dryad ah, thing. I forgot about that. It's funny. To this oh, day, I still God. run around and I will say puppy power because of Scrappy. I love Scrappy as a kid. <laughs> oh, I forgot. That's another good one. When they go to the Grand Canyon with uh, Scrappy. I think I, I think I remember Scrappy that one. Do. It's been, gosh, it's been so long since I've watched the cartoons, but I they were a favorite for me. So that's how you got introduced. Mm-hmm. Scooby-Doo and... Uh, then I loved Hey Dude, the cartoon Hey Dude. And they had, or not a cartoon, it was a TV show for kids. Okay. Oh, okay. And it was on Nickelodeon and mm. it was, I don't even think they were teenagers. They were like children working at a ranch. And they had a spooky episode called Ghost Stories. Okay. That 
totally scared the shit out of me. And things like, are you afraid of the dark? Those uh-huh. kind of, and then it just kind of went yep. from there. My dad was a huge cinephile, so he was always watching like Alien, Aliens, Indiana Jones, Jaws. Yeah. This stuff was just like always on at my house. And my mom is like the OG true crime fan. <laughs> she always had, oh, cool. yeah, like some murder something on TV. Wait, what did she think of horror in the high desert then? She loves it. She's so cute. She's so proud of me. She's like, even if she hated it, she'd love it. <laughs> but I'm starting to see a little bit. You say OG true crime horror on the other side or cinema on the other side in 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 particular, and then horror in the high desert kind of combines those two in a way. I mean, it's not true crime, but it's mm-hmm. presented as true crime. So I can sort of see how that like childhood kind of comes together to make these two movies. Absolutely. And you grew up in Nevada, right? Like, mm-hmm. did you grow up like in the like rural Nevada? Like, I don't. It's weird. Like, I've never lived like the desert. So, do you call it rural Nevada? I don't know if that's the right way yeah. to describe it. Yeah, middle of it desert. It actually couldn't Nevada. be more rural. It's oh, really? um, the town I grew up in is the most remote town in the continental U.S. Oh shit! <laughs> it is when you watch the first horror in the high desert the town that gary lived in it shows like a drone shot of it that's not even that high in the air and you can see the entire town um it's called ruth it's 300 people oh wow <laughs> it's like more of a you village grew up there mm-hmm. 300 people how was that i honestly credit my imagination to growing up in the middle of nowhere that'll do it i mean it really truly will i mean i can i can kind of relate because i i grew up my when we moved to alaska when i was like two uh or three ish and Mm -hmm. it's where we lived was not like i don't think it i think it had more people than 300 but it was definitely like a very isolating place where we were and people in alaska particularly where 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 we were uh, you were either for lifers there, um, and you were older, or you were uh, a lot a lot of military families that came, and mm-hmm. so it was really hard for me to make friends because it, I was very introverted, very shy, and you'd make a friend, and then they would probably be going away with their family, like in a, in a couple of years, whereas my parents were there until my dad retired. So I, I understand needing that that uh, creativity and that imagination to like keep you through in those yeah isolating places. It's, I- that's you kind of just described a lot of what it's like there. Yeah. There was a imagine. lot of um a lot of people. Well, for the most part it stayed like the core. Like my graduating class was 90 people. Oh wow. But a uh, quite a few people did would like come and go as well. It was a lot of chasing horny toads and catching lizards and lighting fires and letting cows out and just <laughs> country <laughs> chaos. Country chaos. I love it. But did you ever have like spooky experiences that would like inspired anything in the horror in the high desert? Um, not to say that you saw anything out there, but I'm just curious if like any cool experiences. I well, any time we camped, I scared the shit out of myself just thinking of things. But one of the scariest things that i remember is i was camping with my dad and my uncle we were at lake mead and we were kind of like right off of the shore our tent it was this huge tent and i thought everybody was asleep 
I started hearing like something moving around our campground and I was like, God damn it. Do I wake him up and look like a total little bitch or like (laughs) stay terrified and we all get murdered? Like, what do I do? (laughs) And it went on for a little bit longer. And then my dad sat up and I realized like he was awake we all just kind of sat there for a minute. My uncle sat up and I was like, what is that? And he said, I don't know. And him saying, I don't know, sent like, I almost fainted. I was, my heart was like, boom, 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 boom. But he was a total badass. He unzipped the tent and it was a can that was just like rolling up and down with the waves. Oh no. <laughs> But but to see my dad, yeah, also kind of like ready to throw down was something I'll never forget. Well, when you look to to like your parents to be like that, it's okay, everything's gonna be fine, and then to hear him say, "I don't know," mm-hmm. I can understand that feeling of just like, "Oh God, yeah, what's like, happening? Uh, get out there oh, and man. kill it! <laughs> kill that can!" Yeah. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Um, so, so you said uh, that you kind of got into horror with um, with um, Scooby Doo, but mm-hmm. do you remember the first horror movie or in that genre that uh, that you might have seen as a kid? Do you have that memory at all? I th- I'm pretty sure it was Aliens. Um, oh, okay, I did not Ooh. see the whole thing. I was like ushered out of the living room. That was the first thing I kind of remember. Like, just a glimpse of. But the first thing that literally traumatized me was the movie that we're here to talk about. Okay. Okay. Cool. Gotcha. But w- So, before we talk about this movie, though, like, were you a scared kid? Were you easily scared? Mm, yes, but I also loved scaring all my sisters. How many sisters do you have? Four. <laughs> oh, God. How, are, where are you in the ranking? So, it's me and my twin sister. And then, so we're the babies, and then three older sisters. No, so you are the shitty little I brother. I was a total <laughs> shithead. <laughs> I mean, I like traumatized this them so much. <laughs> I used to get into so much trouble. I after Scream came out, which was one of my other first like <gasps> movies. That as soon as I got a hold of that mask, it was on. <laughs> I got in so much trouble because my sister was, her bedroom was upstairs, my twin sister, and I taped, I went up, I had the most incredible time doing this too. Her bedroom window looked out over the roof from of like the first story. Uh-huh. We used to like crawl out there and hang out. So I taped it to the outside of the window, the mask, like ahead of time. You suck. She fucking sat. got out of the shower, went upstairs, like, do-do-do-do-do, and then literally came like a sled. She wasn't even, like, running. She just slid down all the stairs, like, on her back and butt. My dad got involved. It was, like, this whole thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, Holy I was definitely terror. a shit. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm the oldest, and I have brothers, so that's why I was like, I know exactly what fucking kid you are. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. 
Um, but I am curious about, like, do you still get scared now when you watch, like, horror movies? Do you ever get scared, or are you kind of a little bit more numb to it? Um, I'm definitely more numb to it. Okay. It's which sucks, because it's so rare to find something that just, like, uh, you know, like, really gives you that rush of fear. I think the the last time you got that rush? I do. It was actually another, um, mockumentary, the first Blackwell Ghost. That movie is so fucking scary. People need to watch the Blackwell Ghost. The Blackwell Ghost, yeah. Um, I was watching it in bed on my phone and I actually, like, caught up and clicked the light on towards the end i did the same thing i like had to like take the earphones off my ears a little bit like i was getting like freaked out because i was watching it in the dark and i was like uh, uh, ooh, wait right it just hits like, like if you're home i don't like this <laughs> don't like no, it thank you. <laughs> if you're home in your own because that's what he's in his house or not his house but he's in a house doing the ghost hunting thing which has been done to death but the way it's done in these movies is like it just hits so right that it totally freaked me out. It feels very realistic. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't it, so many of them can feel so cheesy and hokey, but this guy it it feels like it's a YouTube channel. Like he just makes it feel so real. Yes. And <clears throat> the scares don't the scares are so simple, but they're done so well that it doesn't matter that they're simple. Like, he's not trying to make, like, CGI things happen, mm-hmm. but he's just really smart with how he uses, like, the jump scares. And the fucking house that I'm in is kind of like the house in Blackwell Ghost that I just realized. Oh, so God. fuck me, I guess. They have a creepy basement <laughs> and everything. Oh, they don't have uh-uh. an open well. They do not have an open well in the basement, thank God. <laughs> that was the thing that reeled me into that movie. I was like, oh, well, in your basement? What on earth? And it's got that spooky metal cover yes. thing. Like, oh, you just throw a body right down there and put the cover on. Yep. They're all, they're, I think there's five of them, right? Five of seven. them now? I've only, there's seven. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have only, I've seen two of them. I haven't seen the rest, but they're all on on Prime Video slash you can rent them on Prime, I believe. Yeah, I think the first one is streaming and the rest are rental. Yeah. So if y'all want to check it out, I recommend. And they're short, too. They're Mm -hmm. pretty short. Yeah, I think that was my the last time I remember being actually scared. Speaking of which, I so I was I I just that just triggered a memory. I've been going through TikTok and I did stumble across someone that was renovating their kitchen because they found a well in their kitchen that was like boarded up and they're like going through renovating to try to make it as part of their kitchen. I'm like, uh, uh, that's how you unleash the evil. I've seen this movie way too many times. That shit is boarded up for a reason. Uh huh. Yeah. Just boarded up. Fuck that. Leave it, Nancy. Leave it there. Fill it with cement and pretend it's not there. Or, you know, just move. (laughs) How did they sneak that past the home inspector? Like, there's a lake under here. (laughs) <laughs> it seems like it, it felt like a very british house so i feel like i don't know what inspections are like on old british farmhouses but probably <laughs> here's just a well in the middle of the floor whatever all right well let's take a quick commercial break and then when we come back dutch we will talk about your scarred for life pick hold up 
When you want to have fun and have scratchers to scratch, there's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. And we're back. All right, Dutch, what <laughs> movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? Today I brought the epic 1995 thriller. I would call this a horror thriller, but it's a thriller. Copycat. All right. So in Copycat, an agoraphobic psychologist played by Sigourney Weaver mm. and a female detective played by Holly Hunter mm. must work together to take down a serial killer who copies serial killers from the past. Yeah. Even that summary is like, oh, oh it's a good summary. Yeah. <laughs> We've had some really bad ones from IMDb, but that one is actually outside of saying serial killer twice in a mm-hmm. sentence, it's it's a good one. <laughs> But um, take us back. How you said that this was like the the movie uh, when you were kind of teasing it a little earlier. So mm-hmm. how old were you when you saw this? How did you see this? Give us your horror story. I want to I want to hear it all. Okay. So I was a I want to say eleven because it came out when I was ten. But that means it mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have hit been on like rental or or on TV for at least a year back then. Right. Mm hmm. And my mom, I'm pretty sure, like, I was so terrified by this. The setting is kind of like a blur to me. But my mom and some of my sisters were watching it. (laughs) And I think I had missed, like, that wild opening scene. So I was kind of just settling into the, like, movie. Oh, they're looking for a killer. La, 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 la. (laughs) And then when she gets the email in the movie, Sigourney Weaver, you know, she's like trying to help them find this serial killer. And Mm -hmm. he sends her an email, which is hysterical to rewatch because it's an actual mailbox on her desktop. And the little red flag pops up. I love it so much. It's so good. The 90s of it all. And she Ugh. opens it, and it's a picture of a victim. And they're in this, like, grisly position in the bathtub. One arm is, like, hanging over the tub. One leg's up on the wall. And then the killer who has sent this to her animates it. So the body, like, lifts up, and the limb starts swinging around like a rag doll. And it starts making this horrifying scream. That I will, that's what definitely scarred me for life, like that specific thing. And that's when they're like, okay, you got to get out of here. Like, go to your room. (laughs) And I snuck back and watched the rest of it over the couch from the other part of the other living room. Oh, you snuck back in? Mm hmm. Did you you ever get caught? No. I didn't even finish it because I, I I got to the end where like that big climax scene and ran back to my bedroom, oh. <laughs> like a total little shit. But <laughs> I leg- I think it was the beginning of my insomnia because oh no. I could no not sleep. I literally couldn't sleep. Yeah, I was so scared. 
Oh my gosh. So you you said you were 11 when you saw this. Yeah. Oh, oh mm-hmm. man. I'd never seen really anything like that. Yeah. And I, I but I was like yeah. totally just wrapped up in it. I couldn't, I was terrified, but I could not stop watching it. I was just like, this isn't like, this is making me feel something. <laughs> wow. So yeah, it's what definitely scarred me. I'm just, so I would have been 14 or 15 when mm-hmm. this, when this, when um, this came out, cause I did not see it in theaters. I had um, a very, I have a very vivid memory of seeing part of this when I was, when I saw it on VHS and my parents had rented it. I was downstairs with them. And I, all I remember about this movie is that opening scene. The opening scene where Sigourney Weaver, who mm. was a fave. Mm-hmm. And like I had seen her struggles through Ghostbusters. Seen her struggles through the Alien movies. Just a few years before that, you know, she was saying goodbye to the Alien movies and had died. I was traumatic. I was traumatized and heartsick over that. And I was like... New Sigourney Weaver movie, because if I got attached to particularly female actresses, I would be watching everything. I d- went on this whole journey of Nicole Kidman because of Mulan Rouge. Like, you didn't know you were gay? <laughs> Listen, there are so many things looking back on it that so I'm like, much. really? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> You're not very self-aware, young Terry. That is that is all... <laughs> Although Poor at this time, Terry yes. thirsting after Sigourney Weaver, realizing, uh, hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you. So I remember I was 14 or 15. I remember watching this opening scene with my parents. And even though I was 14 or 15, being like so traumatized by the end of that, that cold open where you don't know, like immediately that she's alive, like it goes to uh-huh. copycat and everything. I got sent out of the room. My parents are like, no, you can't watch the rest of this. And so in my mind, I was like, wait, Sigourney Weaver's dead. Oh, and that's all I had to go on yeah. was this very brief moment of like, and I, I'm pretty sure I was walking up the stairs as he was licking his his knife. And I, my parents had banished me. And I was like, <laughs> and so that night, as I was wont to do, I snuck that VHS and I tried watching it. But my parents were up and down all night. And so I couldn't finish watching it. So I have a very disjointed memory of seeing this movie. And all I remember today is that opening scene and the scene that you talked about, Dutch. I do remember, like, I was like, that's where that memory was that's unlocked with scary, the, the yeah, like movement of the... We pretty yeah. much have identical memories of this but mine is like the big climax scene which is a mirror of the opening scene yes it is i did not know about this movie until dutch recommended like brought it to the show so i am very i was very excited to watch it because well i wasn't sure what to expect i was like hmm this could either be really good or like a very mid like mid 90s crime Mm -hmm. movie but like those are fun i am now obsessed with this movie because holy shit, it is Yay. so good and fun. But I, that cold open, like, t- just sets the tone of like, take mm-hmm. no prisoners. Like, we are just hanging Sigourney Weaver at the very beginning in her fucking red mm-hmm. power and her suit. her high heels, like, <laughs> like, it's just so iconic. And her high heels. And it's Harry Connick Jr. as Callum, like, the creepy killer who hears Joan of Arc whispering in his ear. Like, what a creepy ass. Like, I when I started watching this, I was like, oh, this is definitely not what I was expecting. And I think it, okay, for shit. someone who watched it for the first time, so I'm guessing you would say it aged well? For the most part. For the, for the 
the most part, yeah. There's yeah. a couple parts where I'm like, ooh, um, not a great, but I think it did. I think Holly Hunter and Sigourney Weaver here are just like pitch perfect, mm-hmm. incredible bad bitches. And it's just like, I, I, when I logged on, I was talking to Terry before we started recording. I said seven who, and I'm not, I love seven. I am not saying that this is better than seven by what, by any means. Mm-hmm. But this deserves its flowers because it is like, it has seven vibes, way less gritty, but still. It holds up. It's like, God, I was it. actually reading too before we hopped on here, like some trivia. And Sigourney Weaver, she said, um, well, first she, to prepare for that role, she consulted with a forensic psychiatrist for months. And it was the one who interviewed Jeffrey <clears throat> Dahmer. And then she also said that she thinks that this is some of her best work and that she really hates that it was kind of lost in the shuffle of all of those other 90s thrillers. I agree, though, because she is incredible. I was I was thinking that I was like Sigourney Weaver, one, has an age. Mm-hmm. I feel like that woman has just been like hot forever. But like this is an incredible performance. And I feel like mm-hmm. she's she's messy in this movie. Like she is like an alcoholic, agoraphobic, traumatized, really intelligent woman. And especially in, like, the 90s, we didn't get those kinds of characters. Yeah. We got more, like, Holly Hunter characters who were, like, pretty squarely in one box. And Sigourney Weaver also, though, I like, I guess we could argue that Ripley is a messy character, but I feel like Ripley yeah. is also very squarely, like, an action hero. And a lot, and then we've seen her in a lot of roles as, like, like a president slash, like, leadership role. But here, Unravel, we see her yeah. get messy and be kind of just like a chaotic, unhinged, just not well character that was really cool to see her play. Because again, I feel mm-hmm. like we see her in such a bombastic roles. And this one, I think, was so good. So I'm glad to hear that she said that about this movie. Yeah, like her, it is so interesting to see her be a mess. And one of the scenes that I thought that I kind of giggled at today even though it's like not funny is where she has her first panic attack when holly hunter um comes over and she's like flailing around collapsing and they're like is she okay do we need to call an ambulance and he literally goes it's okay just a good old-fashioned panic attack she's gonna hyperventilate till she passes out yeah. With a paper bag. With a paper bag. He throws like the he he throws the artisanal San Francisco <laughs> sourdough out of the bag and hands it to her. And I was like, I have not seen someone hyperventilate in a bag in a movie in what feels like decades. So that wild, was, yeah. That was wild. I was like, oh, I forgot that we yeah, didn't like, understand have, panic attacks. Because I've had panic attacks that have like wound me up in the emergency room and they did not look like that. I was like, I'm dying. <laughs> she just passes out. She just passes out for 30 minutes and then she'll be back up singing. And I'm yeah. like, that <laughs> seems like a seizure. <laughs> that's like a little like, more just... than a panic attack. <laughs> but then, but let me just say, her gay assistant is yes. everything to me. <clears throat> the gay assistant, when they're talking about s- sex and... And then when he comes in with his um, partner and they're in, like, their colorful outfits mm-hmm. and they're like, it's the power of love. And I was like, wait, this movie is so good. What is it? Like, so ahead of its time. I was going to ask you, Terry, did you, when you were watching it, were you like, oh, my God, this is a gay man? You know, 
back when I when I when I watched it, I I remembered the character, and because when he entered, I was like, oh, he reminds me of, and I don't, I he reminds me of Mork and Mindy, and as which is Robin <laughs> Williams, right? Yeah, but it reminded oh, me of, yeah. of, yeah, of yeah, the, yeah. The, one of the the characters, but I. I, I'm staring at him and I'm like, I, I don't remember thinking about it as a kid. Same. But now I'm like, dang, 1995, got a gay mm-hmm. character in there, not making a big deal about it. Like, just, mm-hmm. it, surprised, it surprises me looking back on it with, particularly 1995, with everything that was going on in the, in the, in the 90s with, with, with queer people. I was yeah. like, this is quietly a very um, forward-thinking movie. Very mm-hmm. quietly. I mean, yeah, the gay character does get end up getting killed, and it's sort of a because death is a plot point because of Jeffrey Dahmer. But still, the fact that it's just this normal interaction between the two of them at a time fraught for for gay mm-hmm. men in particular. Um, I was when I wild. watched it, rewatched it last night. It occurred to me, I was like, I think this might have been the first gay man I saw in a movie, and I didn't even. I was so young, I didn't. Oh even, yeah you know, like relate to it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was really, I thought that was amazing that, but is it him that's murdered or is it his boyfriend? I think it's his partner. No, I think it was Andy. Was it? I think it. Do I have it pulled up? Yeah. Uh, so according to Wikipedia, oh, okay. it is Andy. Okay. Andy was killed. Mm-hmm. Poor Andy. Poor Andy. He didn't deserve that. I also think this movie is progressive in the fact that like, I mean, not, not just the fact that we have two women as like our main characters, but the men around them take kind of take the role of women in the way because the men fight about mm-hmm. like Holly Hunter's character, but like they don't, they could, they don't really talk about like the women, the female characters like don't really talk about that. Yeah. But the men are like jealously, like jealousy, like jealous mm-hmm. and fighting over ladies behind their back and like having like squabbles with each other while the, while like the female characters are, off doing other shit but then sigourney weaver like comes on to dermot mulroney's character as she's like drinking a snifter uh, of brandy and like she hits on him in front of her movie. computer <laughs> the whole movie but like she's like hitting on him and she's like because like she just talked about missing sex and then she's like and but she's like missing sex and then talking with andy about thinking that reuben dermot mulroney's mm-hmm. character who's a cop is hot then she and he fucking stays hits on there him and he stays the night and takes care of her but I just love that, like, these – it just subverts a lot of expectations mm-hmm. from these kinds of movies so much and not in a way that is, like, look at these empowered women. But, like, it feels organic and I just absolutely love that. And, again, like, Dermot Mulroney is kind of a himbo. Like, he's a little bit useless. And, like, he has, like – and it's just like he's, like, a little bit useless but he's really cute and he has a really good relationship with MJ, Holly Hunter's character. That's really sweet. And it's, like, just very wholesome, which is a weird word to say with this movie. But, like, the relationships in a lot of this mm-hmm. feel very, like, kind of wholesome. And, like, They do. Like, that. Good. I loved when... Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was ahead. just going to agree and say, like, that what's, is what made it so much more, like, devastating when he gets killed. Unexpectedly, that comes yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh, I yelled. I was like, are you fuck?" I was like, what You're is like, this? What? No, this isn't fair. It's like when you kill a dog in a movie, you can't kill the golden retriever sidekick. And what I love about that moment, though, is that it has nothing to do with the story. Nothing. It's not as if, like, it's not as if, like, the killers kidnapped him or, you know, whatever the case may be. It is literally life just gets in the way and some random acts of, of violence occur and he's now mm-hmm. dead. 
I it's 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 so it was out of nowhere. I was like, whoa! I don't remember this happening at all because in my head when I first when I when I first saw him, I was like, wait, is he the killer? I was like, I couldn't remember. And then we see, you know, the the killer is there, and we we it's obviously not him. But like I, my first thought was like, wait, was he was he the, yeah. the killer? Because it it he doesn't seem to. I don't know. He seems to be there for a specific purpose, and then all of a sudden he's just he's off. Mm-hmm. I literally wrote in my notes, love the dynamic between Holly Hunter and Dermot Mulroney. So he's definitely the killer. <laughs> so it's like literally a note I wrote to myself. I was like, so he's definitely the killer. Yeah. Um, I was wrong. But, you know, I'm glad that I wasn't the only no. one that was like, okay, so he is definitely. Like, but I, I do love a movie in this case, like in this case, where it's not someone that like we are introduced mm-hmm. to and is like a main character. It's not trying to pull Who that. Like, it's not a, yeah. it's a twist. Like that. I, I do kind of love that a little bit. I, like, I do love a twist, but there's something about like this and like seven that where it's like, Oh, it's a completely random weirdo. That to mm-hmm. me makes it even more fucked up. Like it is just a random dude. And that Who has a wife is- and like, has this whole other you know like wild ass thing going on at home like speaking of true crime i mean i feel like this movie is just like every true crime Mm -hmm. it's like wet dream because it is going through all of the like horrible ways that different serial killers killed like their victims and so it's just like like, if you love serial killers with windex yes And also, like, on that same note, in the opening, how chilling is it when she's like, everyone stand up. If you're under 20 or above yes! 35, sit down. If you're Asian, black, or any person of color, sit down. And all that's left is white men between 20 and 35. And she's like, nine out of ten serial killers look just like you. Mm-hmm. To me, I was like, again, this is... It, it, if they were to kind of reshoot some parts, this could come out today and still be totally, you know, like take off. Yeah. Now people would be saying, oh, it's woke. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the, <laughs> the, the conservative response to this film. This movie is woke. Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> but that, okay, I, w- I want to stick with the opening a little bit because one of the things that absolutely made me die laughing was after the, the lecture's over and she's in the hall and I think she's like signing autographs or whatever – and she says, don't, don't park, park next, next to vans. <laughs> I love that you brought that up. It's on my, I have it in capital letters over here. Don't park next to men and just hands her notebook back. Incredible. There's some one liners in here. They're oh, so good. It's so good. <laughs> nice so to meet good. you. Don't park next to men. Oh, okay, girl. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, made me giggle. And then when holly hunter's boss just casually calls her a stubborn broad and it's like whatever <laughs> she just leaves I'm like I, oh no it's it's such it's such a, a trope i think in particularly in in 90s uh thrillers with with women detectives because like you know uh um sansa lamb she got kind of down you know downplayed a lot too but the fact that he just he calls her broad in this i was like oh my gosh i miss sometimes that 90s era of of just the cop thriller i think because as much as as much as it's like you know a cab those were great 
those were a great like subgenre of of films back in the 90s that like now it's like you look back like uh cops fuck you but at the time i'm like give me this give me like the bone collector give me you know all of those like the bone collector. was it james patterson movies that oh they were yeah all the like the and like with, um, with uh with morgan freeman oh i just watched one i'd never seen with him what's the other good one i'm trying to think of with uh Sharon Stone, Basic uh, Instinct, Basic in- Instinct, yeah, mm-hmm. that era. Like I was looking up, I was googling to see what kind of movies like were were similar to this, and there were just a whole lot, a whole glut of them from like Seven and a movie called Blue Steel, and then we had like it went up until like the early two thousands with Taking Lives and. And along came a spider and a lot of those type mm. of movies. Bone Collector, I think, was at the very end of that that decade. But Kiss the Girls as well. But oh, it was just yes. such like a a rush of them that came after uh I think Silence of the Lamb sort of like kickstarted a lot of that kind of that craze for him because it was that movie was such a big hit. Yeah. It was like a trailblazer. But I do kind of miss those movies, I'll be perfectly honest. I enjoyed that sort of like I guess cat and mouse type mm-hmm. of game between a detective because a lot in a lot of these movies you know who the killer is like you know who the killer is in Silence of the Lambs you know who the killer is in this movie um, and it's just sort of like that kind of back and forth between the people that are trying to find them and also the killer that kind of harkens back I guess to maybe my love of like slash the whodunit slasher but also sort of like giallo films mm-hmm. and like that kind of 70s style of crime for thriller that was coming out at that time I I, I don't know. I, I love them. And maybe it's because I grew up on them. They're kind of like a comfort thing. They are. It's weird to say this is a comfort yeah. <laughs> watch, but like, it feels like Sigourney Winger. Winger. Jesus. Sigourney Winger hanging from a plumbing pipe by her neck is just I've so never, comforting. I feel helped by this. <laughs> I feel helped by this movie. But I mean, like, it's the procedural <laughs> format. You know, it's like a CSI or a Law and Order. Like, you know mm-hmm. it's going to happen, but it's always, like, satisfying because mm-hmm. it always is, like, compelling enough that even if you can kind of tell where it's going. See? They're like grown-up Scooby-Doo's. Yes. Yeah. Procedural. Yes. See? Yeah. Huh. With boobs. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> They the nineties loved okay. the boobs. Oh, yeah. There were like the most oh. gratuitous sex scenes oh, in these yeah. movies. Loved some titties. Yeah, I was actually surprised we didn't we didn't get like a shot of Sigourney Weaver in the shower in this movie. Like I, this feels like that kind of movie that would have that they would have leaned into that a mm-hmm. bit. To be perfectly honest, but they were very surprisingly reserved. I would say in this movie, I was surprised they didn't show Dermot Mulroney like sucking on Sigourney Weaver's tit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I feel like, like, like there the was night, an edited like, scene there. I feel like they cut something would, out uh, when like, he stayed the night. I just I would have loved, that, loved that. Because 90s sex scenes were so steamy and mm-hmm. so good. They and, have that uh, porn music. What I would do <laughs> to see a Sigourney Weaver Dermot Mulroney sex scene, like, if I was Dermot Mulroney, and Sir, even if Sigourney Weaver was just acting, flirting with me, I would be like, I am stunned into silence. Like, I don't even think he was acting. I'd be like, I can't even <laughs> believe she's pretending to flirt with me. Yeah. Where are we? <laughs> What's going on? Who are we? <laughs> I love, too, that she's drinking day and night in that movie, and she looks like a million dollars. If I woke up drinking, dollars. I'd look like a blood clot by <laughs> 1030. <laughs> 
and she's like popping pills, swigging brandy, looking like she just woke up, but like rested, just woke up in a good way. Like her hair is beautiful and Mm -hmm. she's always like she's always had a shower and she always has Mm -hmm. clean clothes on and her apartment is clean and those (sighs) windows that are you kidding me what what i also do love though is that there's there's that there's a moment where um where sigourney weaver thinks that maybe someone had been in her house because her her you know powers have been laid out yeah and then like later on She's being confronted by Holly Hunter's character, MJ, who's like, why didn't you report this? And her response is, I've taken a lot of pills. I've, I've been drinking. And it's it's like, would you have believed me? And I I, th- I think that it's such a throwaway little moment, but it's it definitely speaks to sort of that kind of tension between um, – I, I like, Looking back on it now, you can almost see this is like the kernel of what we get with sort of like the, the gone girl bad – archetype that we've seen in a lot of like recent movies where like it's always an unreliable narrator i'm thinking mm-hmm. like the girl was a girl on the train or like oh, this yeah. kind of thing where they're you know drinking or they're doing you know drugs or something like that where they're unreliable and it kind of creates that sort of tension between is what's happening really them or not and i'm i'm watching this and i'm like this is kind of the start of that sort of character gone bad quote unquote yeah we're like you know they're drinking or they're taking pills and so to everyone else, they are unreliable, and you can't really believe what they're saying because maybe they're yeah. making things up. Mm-hmm. And back then, it was a little like less refined. It was a little tropey, yeah. where like, mm-hmm. oh my god, anyone on antidepressants is unre- like crazy, or you know, <laughs> you know, when you see someone run to go get a pill, the, yeah. they're like, the, oh, they are at the end oh, of their rope because can't pills, trust her. Oh yeah. my god, like it is such a it's such a visual signifier in the in like the nineties that like oh she's having problems and it's not like <laughs> no she's taking care of her mental health. It's like yeah exactly. Know, it's it's such a. I don't know. Well, and they, they even say, like, she's weird. leaking like a rusty bucket because like, she's on <laughs> antidepressants. And they're like, she's, I was like, that's certainly a phrase that you could say. Wait, did, is that a line in the movie? Leaking like a rusty bucket? Yes. Yeah. Yes, because he he says oh, you have, like, that. the commissioner needs you to stop talking to her. Like, she's leakier than a rusty bucket. And, like, in <laughs> reference to her having horrible, like, being crazy and, like, unreliable because she's anti-depressant. Yes, I know. It's so fucked up. I was like... Oh my god. She's agoraphobic, so she must be insane. A rusty bucket. Good lord. I did think this was an interesting depiction of, of PTSD, though. True. Yeah. I, I also, I love that this is a ve- also a very early movie to adopt, like, people reaching out to each other via the internet. Yes! Mm. Like, it's so cool how it does that, and how, like, she's in chat rooms. She's playing online multiplayer, like, she's playing, it's chess, or is it, it's check chess they're playing chess she's chess, playing chess. Yeah. and so like with another person online and she's talking to people who are agoraphobic on like finding support groups online we i mean like even when we see her get her emails like mm-hmm. she's you see like we talked about the little red flag coming up and then she opens the like the weird video and then we see the killer editing videos and it's like this very cool proto like second screen horror type thing going on here where we're like actually seeing the internet used and like yeah technology used in a way that again like in the 90s we're not seeing a lot of like sophisticated like digital online stuff and this one again is like ahead of its time and how it is using technology and having one of its main characters like 
well-versed in technology and how she uses that to reach outside of her apartment. Again, it feels that feels very contemporary for her mm-hmm. moment, which is really interesting, like especially if this is 1995. Yeah, if you were to just swap out that 200-pound yeah. computer monitor, it could uh, pass. Can you imagine <laughs> having that many like Three of them. brick computer monitors on your desk? It's how like, hot? oh yeah. How hot was it in that room? Like how loud? Like <laughs> Jesus. I can imagine. Uh. So one thing that I don't think um, has aged incredibly well is the Harry Connick Jr.'s... Um, oh, God, is the oh. hillbilly character? Yeah, so the, it was kind of like a hillbilly, but then I was also like, it, when I was re-watching this, and we, we when the cop opens up the restroom doors and is looking there, and there are two women's legs, I was like, oh, uh, is this a man in a, in a dress killer oh. again? Like, that was my first thought, was like... Is that what we're going with mm-hmm. here? And then it's like, no, we're going with hillbilly horror because he is definitely like the 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 redneck. I, at one point, when when they're doing like speaking of technology, the video face the video FaceTiming almost of each other. Yes, I was like, wait, is he channeling Ernest? Because he, <laughs> oh, he he felt he like <laughs> he felt like I almost wanted him to say like, you know what I mean, Vern? <laughs> like it, he was. <laughs> he was channeling that sort of like the facial features and everything. I was like, this is Ernest as a serial killer. And I am, this is camp to me almost. At this he, was a, he was definitely over it, the top. It yeah. was a weird addition to a movie that I thought had a pretty serious tone and then adds like that camp. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it was a little bit like weird, like too over the top. It was a very weird addition to the movie whenever he showed up. I was like, especially what? in the climax, too. Yes. Fun fact about this, too. Which makes it even a little more painful. I'm looking at the IMDb page for it. Harry Connick Jr. spent weeks watching documentaries on serial killers in preparation for his role. Um, <laughs> oh. Which ones were you watching, homie? Yeah, seriously. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all the ones that I've seen, they don't act like that. Yeah, no. no. He was in a different movie, I have yeah, to he say. Was, he was in a different movie. Like, the licking the knife and just, like, the pimples all over his face. It was just, like, it was very earnest. It was very, like, almost, like, Dumb and Dumber, like, Jim Carrey's character. It was just, that was mm-hmm. that was the only part that, like, took me out of the movie a little bit. I was like, who is this Same. clown? Like, you don't freak me out. Like, you <laughs> kind of just, clown? like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, and then when he's, <laughs> Sorry. I don't go feel ahead. like I keep interrupting you. I'm so sorry. Then no, when he says, um, and this is in the trivia too, I laughed so hard. Um, I've got to find this. Give me one second. When he, oh, I'm not going to scroll forever. Basically when the director told him to improvise, when he is cutting off her underwear, and he's like, come, come up with your own word for it. And he called them squirrel covers. Yes! I- what the <laughs> fuck? I was like, where am I? Like, what? Did I change the channel? Like, and they were what? I just love how they were both like, what are you saying to me? He's he said like, he had heard his panties. brother-in-law say it. <laughs> yeah, your panties. <laughs> your panties. Like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did love how she was like, we'll send promptly. Like, 
eyes and she just like is so <laughs> like I don't know how to respond. How would you respond to that? Squirrel yeah. covers. That I wrote that in, in giant letters too. That was right I wrote and then literally why is he channeling Ernest right after that? <laughs> Oh, he's such a weird character in this movie. But I will say it's obvious that this movie came out after um, Silence of the Lambs because, like, the idea of the 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 woman detective and like the guy oh, yeah. that is a serial killer that is now behind bars that you have to go to to get information about the case, like, mm-hmm. it is definitely. It almost felt like they were they were hoping that this would create like a series because by the end of the the stinger at the end where you find out that you know he's been you know reaching out to this killer and now he's wanting another killer to go after her. It's almost like are we trying to set up a franchise here? What is what is going yeah. on? Yeah, I mean, they probably it does have that do. vibe. Uh, I I do like the mo of the serial killer copying other serial killers. Like that's actually kind of a smart little idea. Well, I also feel like it makes it easier for you not to make up creative kills. Well, that's fair <laughs> it's too. Like a really creative loophole <laughs> that's a good point. to get away with having to like think of different ways to kill. It's like wait, we'll just have him copy these guys, and then we can just copy it. And and it's smart though. Like again, it mm-hmm. is a smart conceit, and it also just helps you have to how you come up with the kills. And I think it helps that they added this weirdo, like, is online making video. Like, they added enough flares to it that it didn't feel lazy. It felt yes. like he was truly, like, a creepazoid. Just, like, a fucking creepazoid. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this is going to be one of those movies that's remade soon. It has yeah, that energy. It mm-hmm. does have that energy because... I, it's just one of those things where I just don't know who our Holly Hunter and Sigourney Weaver are right now. Like, who are, yeah. like, generations... Like, who are they? Oh, that's a good question. Who would be Sigourney Weaver? I mean, there's nobody like Sigourney Weaver. And, like, this is the problem because they're, like, they're still, she's obviously, like, very much still alive. And so is Holly Hunter. And, like, they're just, I just, this is not, this is going to sound, like, so, like, cheesy. But, like, I just feel like, like, 90s movie stars are just built different than, like, Mm -hmm contemporary like newer movie stars i just feel like there was something about like star quality in the 90s that we don't have as much now you know what i mean like, i feel like the yeah. 90s was like prime like stars and hot and like you know like in like big movies and i feel like the 90s stars were like kind of like the big like the end of like the kind of like the shining end of all of that era mm-hmm. and i just don't think like we have any like big movie stars like that it's that really are, like, a strange younger. i was yeah, I was thinking about this the other day because what's her name? Um, Jennifer Aniston said this in an interview and she was like, you know, my point is not that we don't have good actors. It's that they're not, it's, it's becoming almost less of a profession now that we have TikTok stars and yeah. Instagram stars and they all kind of, you know, because everyone now is after a f- your following, your followers. Mm-hmm. You know, like they want to cast people who have a following type of thing. Legitimate shows and movies don't, but it is weird. I was trying to think of like who are our younger movie stars right now, and like I was having Pugh. a hard time. Yeah, Florence Pugh is Flo one. Pugh. Flo Pugh. I. I think definitely Ortega has a chance to become one. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Jenna Ortega is like, and she's like super younger. And like, she's a lot younger too. I feel like Margaret Qualley's getting up there. What's his name too from Scream? Um, Mason Gooding. Oh, Mason. Yeah. Oh, what a what a what a himbo! I love. He always plays himbos in in roles, and I'm like, 
I love him. He just he realized until like recently that he is Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son. I was blown Did not away. Put those two together. Yeah. You know, I get. I guess like. Kate Winslet and is like the mm. same generation of actors, but I feel like I'd love to see her maybe even play like the Sigourney Weaver character, like in a copycat. I feel like I see like her or like a Tony Collette. And again, like they're still kind of in that generation of actors, but I feel like because of like recent successes they've had mm-hmm. and like Mayor of East Town and a bunch of shit like that, I feel like they could be cool in something like a, some kind of style like this. I would love to see like, Nicole Kidman take a whack at that kind of a... I just love her. Yeah, oh, God. What was that movie she was in where she was like a grizzled cop? It was the Karen Kusama movie. Huh. And she was oh. like in that like really... like the makeup that everyone Destroyer. Destroyer. She was so a she cop? Was, like, a grizz... She was like a grizzled, like corrupt cop or something. Yeah. I can't but even it wasn't, imagine like, that. It wasn't like... The best movie, no offense to Karen Kusama and Nicole Kidman, but give her, let her try it again. Let her try it again. <laughs> I guess I while they Nicole were filming, Kidman. Holly Hunter was so short compared to Sigourney Weaver that in their their face to face scenes, Sigourney Weaver is actually sitting in a chair. And <laughs> I was wondering because there is there was like a shot of her of Holly Hunter walking down a hallway with her um, her lieutenant, and she like literally comes up to like his hip. Mid sh- Right, and I'm like, she's small. How tall is he? Really tall? Is she really short, or both? Because like that was the first time that I realized in this movie the height difference between her and, and some of her co-stars. Because you don't notice it with with her and Sigourney and all that kind of stuff. And so that that makes that makes sense to me because Sigourney's tall. She's five two. Yeah, I just googled it. Holy cow! Oh, she's small, so tiny. Small. And Sigourney was like six foot. Oh, mommy. Amazon queen. Mommy. I yeah. Uh, I will say on this on this watch, I definitely felt there was a little bit of sexual tension between the two of them. That when they first uh, meet and they have that yes. conversation and they're kind of uh, like trading barbs back mm-hmm. and forth, I was like, "Ooh, the, if this was a different movie and the the gender of one of them was flipped, they would definitely this would be like that smoldering affair type moment between the two of them because they have that sort of easygoing interplay between the oh, between yeah. the two of them when they're they're when they're throwing barbs at each other it's it's so mm-hmm. it's like i it's need so you we like, need you on this case fuck you it's like oh really <laughs> but then like she like bursts in she's like i need to use your phone and i'm just like oh fucking kiss her right now god <laughs> damn it fuck that so that's what we're gonna do we're gonna remake this and make them lesbians and actually make this an erotic thriller adaptation Ooh. oh that's like a movie a i would watch erotic thriller of copycat oh they also talk about vibrators in it did you catch that yes yes that was a funny (laughs) one-liner he's like he says something about like the only thing these women have in common is they all have a vibrator talking about the victims i think and and she was like yeah yeah what is holly hunter says something funny she says a line i wish i wrote it down i I don't remember exactly what it was um but it was very much like yeah so or like it's a tool for survival it's a tool for survival it's a tool for survival (laughs) get it girl but like uh there's a lot of like these comic moments but also some really terrifying moments especially when sigourney weaver's being stalked Mm -hmm. like those scenes are like incredibly unnerving when she like can't leave her apartment and like the the killer finds ways to get like details away from her like details away from her or she wait like the worst one to me was the ants in her bed because something yes. about ants just like awful 
And then it is the reveal of the book with the finger as the with bookmark. the finger and the bookmark. Mm-hmm. Oh god, that would it's be just horrifying. Like, and it's just like ants for some reason are just like it's this creepy crawly and they're giant ants in her bed and it's they're just invasive. like yes, and there's just like so, there's something so unnerving about how she's fu- how um, her character specifically is fucked with this whole yes. movie like. She can't leave her house. Like he is just fucking mm-hmm. with. It's like a. It's like a rat in a cage, and she's just. He's just fucking with her, and like that is so creepy and disturbing to me. Like in a way that you don't see with like with men, like male characters in these kinds of movies, you don't see them getting fucked with like Mm-mm. this. So there's some like really interesting like gendered power dynamics going on here that are getting exploited in a particularly interesting way. Yeah, that's what really stuck with me too with this movie is. And that I love in a good scary movie is that it's not necessarily, I don't think there's any kind of a jump, like actual jump scare or like a bang moment in this movie, but the sense of dread of the threat that she's under constantly, even in her own home is so unnerving. Um, and that palatial apartment. I love that apartment. Oh, that apartment. Like, if you're going to be housebound, that is the place to do it. Right. In. Like, that place with the, the blinds that are on a, you know, on a remote control and everything. I'm like, ah. Oh, please let me be story. housebound in that yeah. house. That movie would not work if Miss Thing were living in a one bedroom. <laughs> no. No. Absolutely not. It would be, it would start to end real quickly. Yeah. <laughs> But I do, I do love that this movie does have those moments of of pure horror because I, I did find that that whole sequence where, um, she realizes that someone is creeping around in her house and he, you see him up on like the the balcony, like the mm. kind of shrouded figure moving. Like there are some moments of tension in here that I I think work really well for for a movie that I think leans more on the procedural and like the aftermath than like actually building horror scenes. But there are a few moments, and that one in particular stood out to me on this watch of being like, "Ooh, this is actually kind of creepy because she's stuck here, she can't go anywhere." It kind of reminded me a little bit of like um, an old school. Um, woman stuck in a house, like maybe wait until dark. Oh or, yeah, like, that kind of aspect oh, of like of yeah. like Hitchcockian cinema of that climax moment where you realize someone is there and you're stuck in this place. Like that's what it kind of was giving me, honestly. Yeah, like, and it does yeah. a good job of sprinkling it throughout the because it's a two hour movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't get yeah. bored. Yeah. I usually get very no. fancy in yeah. two hour movies. Um. And they, I thought they did an awesome job of that. And then the bang up finale, the, there's two like holy shit moments where you, I was, I remember the first time I saw, I was like, he's in the closet. He's in the closet. You know, she's like hanging from the pipe. She can't talk to, to what's her name. And then when he sat up, oh, uh, genius it gave me like saw vibes like mm-hmm. the moment when yeah. like the head turns and oh he's like oh my god nope i'm alive like it it was yeah. creepy and totally unexpected when she does the unexpected and starts to hang herself kicks her feet off the toilet yeah. so smart yep brilliant so smart like was it like not to ruin his perfect crime uh-huh. scene and like ruin this pattern? Yeah, she was ruining Ugh. his like. Oh, that's another thing. His what is that song that they play that uh, murder is an art or? Remember they get the what letter and it goes to like an eighties or nineties. Yes. Um, you can turn mm-hmm. a murder into art is one of the lyrics. I hope. What fucking song was that? 
What a weird song, first of all. Like, what? Yeah, that was really... <laughs> I mean, the police, whole movie... murder by oh, numbers. It's the... Like, the whole movie is just so bizarre, but I think that's why I love it. I think mm-hmm. it takes all, like, it takes, like, all the things you expect from, like, 90s per- police procedurals and makes them just a little bit weirder and puts them in, like, a slightly different context, and I love that. I think it just makes it feel a little bit more different than a lot of those movies. And again, because, like, you have two women being weird bad bitches who are lonely and sad. <laughs> When she calls him a little twerp. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is like a burn. Bang, bang, boom. Gotcha. And then... You're just a sad, gotcha. second-rate, boring, impotent copycat. Yes. Like, cut him down. She also says... I mean, is she wrong? Here, she says, <laughs> when she's, like, trying to lure him, she says, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Like, under her breath. Yes. <gasps> yes! That's her same line oh. from Alien. Yep. When she's actually looking for her cat, but, like, the alien pops out. Uh-huh. There was a lot of those oh. little, like, treats wow. in here that I didn't realize. Wait, that's so cool! I didn't either until just now. Wow. Oh. What a good movie. What a good movie. I'll say it. What a good movie. I'm happy to have introduced you to it, Mary Beth. Yeah. Thank you. Well, okay, so on that note, should we wrap up and give this our rating out of five? That sounds good. I've had a great All time, right, Terry, I think so. Terry, you're first. How many bookmark fingers out of five do you give Copycat? That moment still works, I think. And that when there's a yeah. close-up on the finger, it is it's it's gross looking. It looks it's a gross it, finger. It doesn't look fake. Although I will say what does look fake is go back. Watch the opening scene, um, and when uh, Harry Connick Jr. has, like, the gun and the knife, they both, and there's a close-up on them, they both look, okay, that is a stage gun. That is not a real oh, gun. No, it is, really? was, the, like, knife look, the knife looks like a, like a fucking spirit Halloween knife. It looks <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Thank like, blood like, squirts out of it. Foily and, like, <laughs> yeah. and the gun like, literally <laughs> looked like a candle. Like, it looks like, a, a, like, did you forget to replace that, the prop gun, with a... <laughs> It was so. Uh, I thought the same thing. I was like, hmm, "Oh, okay." But anyway, it's, it's, it was kind of like a, when I first saw that. Watching is like, "Oh, is this not going to be as good as I remember?" <laughs> 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 when you get to that point, well, luckily, luckily, it is better than the little snippets that I remembered as a little kid. I, especially after this conversation, I realized how much more I, I enjoyed this movie than I thought I did while watching. I was like, "Yeah, this this feels like a '90s thriller." But then having this conversation and realizing kind of the smart things that it was doing at a time that was like fraught with a lot mm-hmm. of like 90s kind of cop thrillers like th- this was a bit ubiquitous and so the fact that this movie is doing something a little bit um off the beaten path i thought was really really smart idea for it so oh, we didn't even talk about the score christopher young oh yeah who has like oh. provided so many scores of some movies that we have actually covered on this podcast before because like he just he's also kind of ubiquitous with that sort of like horror of that time period i'm looking back at the things that he made um with like uh he did Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Mm. He also did Flowers in the Attic, he did um Hellraiser, oh. Invaders from Mars, oh. The Fly 2, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, like a lot of Tales from the Hood, he's a composer for that, The Dark Half, like just a lot of these movies that were for me, like you just go to the movie store and mm-hmm. you get them off, and he probably yeah. made a, a movie or a, the score for it. So I don't know. This movie was fun. I had a great time watching it. A lot better than I remembered it being, and a lot better than I was expecting it to be on a rewatch. On a I was like, how good is this gonna? Uh, is this gonna be? So um, I'm gonna give it four. We're gonna cut off four fingers and stuff them in a book for me. What about you, Mary Beth? I'm giving it the same. I was so excited to watch this. 
I was hooked immediately the, from the cold open all the way to the climax. I think that it is so ahead of its time in a lot of ways and not in others. But, you know, you can, I guess we can only ask so much of a 1995 police procedural. Um, but, I mean, Sigourney Weaver and Holly Hunter are fucking incredible in this movie. Plus a himbo Dermot Mulroney. Mm. And just, like, a good, compelling, creepy story. It's it's just, it's good, folks. We should talk about this movie more. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's you have the final word. How many bookmark fingers out of five? So do how do these cat? fingers work? Is this how many fingers I would cut off for the movie? Or if I'm giving it four <laughs> fingers, I'm giving it four out of ten, like... Like four out of five. Yeah, oh, so it's four like, out like, of like five. Star. Think of it, yeah, four out of five. Think of them like stars, but fingers. I would have to say four as well. Yeah, I would. It's one of the only two hour long movies that does not make me squirm and want to like start checking my phone. Yeah. It's a good thrill ride. It even, you know, like Terry was saying, the score is so much fun to listen to because it also, that's another thing with these 90s movies. They have like epic soundtracks with like Mm -hmm. singles and songs pumped in there. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's some I miss that. weird ones. I fucking one. miss that. It's so, isn't it great? <laughs> it's it the best. Is. So yeah, I would have to say I would cut off four fingers and half of my thumb. There you go. Yeah. Also, I, I'm curious. Rewatching this as an adult, and did it bring you back to when you first saw it as a kid? Oh, yeah. I even remembered. So after I watched it the first time, I would get in bed and have this like huge fear that like hands were coming up like someone was gonna grab me like a person because you know how he's just like in her apartment all the time it definitely took me back to like might have a little ptsd here from from this in a great way i loved it it yeah in a great way (laughs) well thank you so much for joining us to talk about copycat um where can the listeners find you and what do you have coming up that you can you can share? So you can find me on all the socials. I'm on Instagram at DutchMDM. I'm on Twitter at DutchMarich, M-A-R-I-C-H. And uh, Facebook, there's a, a page for the Horror in the High Desert movies. It's called Horror in the High Desert Movie Series. Coming up, I am finishing the rest of the series so there's parts three four and five and after that well this might actually come out somewhere in the middle of that i am working on my first horror comedy that um is about gay hillbillies and it is (gasps) called queer billies and you heard it here first ladies and gents (laughs) <laughs> i want this in my eyes it's that's gonna amazing. be a blast yeah hell yeah it'll is it gonna be yeah. found footage or is it gonna be traditional um, or what have you seen trailer park boys no i haven't <laughs> <laughs> very found footage okay um if you haven't seen trailer park boys i'm guessing mary beth has seen it yeah yes uh it's pretty much a documentary oh crew following around this like ordeal happening in this small town with some gays <gasps> and their arch nemesis. Ah! This sounds Fuck great. Yeah. Oh my god. Full on, oh, complete so with like explosions, lighting each other's houses on fire, like total mayhem. Hell yes. 
<laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> okay. Well, on that incredible note, listeners, um, you have heard from us. We want to hear from you. Have you seen Copycat? Do you also think it is a masterpiece? You can let us know via email by sending us an email. That's redundant. <laughs> at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. <laughs> and I'm at Gaily Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we are on Patreon, where we're giving out exclusive content. Woo! Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. to scratch there's a playful way you can do just that scratch with the key or acrylic nail scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail use a belt buckle from your friend lamar or scratch with your pick while you play guitar you can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways scratchers from the california lottery a little play can make your day please play responsibly must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim With the cozy season upon us, it's the perfect time to treat your skin and prepare for the crisp, cool days ahead. Osea's Andaria Exfoliate and Glow Duo is just what you need to nourish and revitalize your skin this fall. It's also the perfect way to treat two of Osea's bestsellers at an incredible value. The Andaria Cleansing Body Polish is an easy one-step exfoliating, cleansing, and moisturizing shower essential. While the Andaria Algae Body Oil is clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. Osea's been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for close to 30 years. Everything they make is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Give your skin a glow-up this fall with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code FALL at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code FALL. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.